Welcome to the second season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. G4S Cash Solutions was a global company employing almost 700,000 people in 125 countries in 2012. It provided security services, including an armored car division. Five employees that worked as guards in its Edmonton, Alberta armored car service were 39-year-old Eddie Reggiano, 35-year-old Brian Nalesic, 24-year-old Michelle Shigelsky, 26-year-old Matthew Schumann, and 21-year-old Travis Baumgartner. Michelle had worked for G4S for four years as a custodian and trainer and had just gotten married in April. Brian had been there six months and was training to be a custodian and was a proud father of his 12-year-old daughter. Matthew was a corporal and firefighter in the military and worked on a casual basis and was married. Eddie had been there three months, was married with two young boys, and Travis had been a security guard for just two months. He was single and recently a bit of a loner. Before getting hired, employees had to pass a psychological evaluation and a firearms training test. G4S trained them in physical combat and shooting weapons. Travis lived in the basement of his mother Sanders' home in Sherwood Park. On the eastern border of Edmonton, it offers a slower pace of life and an abundance of outdoor activities in the surrounding mountains and lakes. Travis was always short on cash. He borrowed money from friends and they were always paying his way. His mother co-signed for him to buy a Ford F-150 truck that he owed $58,000 on. In the short two months that Travis had worked at G4S, he didn't fit in, didn't get along with anyone, and his co-workers teased him, and he felt that management couldn't have cared less. He jokingly told his friend Dylan that he'd known since seventh grade that he should rob his employer. He said it so often, Dylan thought he was just joking. Court records revealed that on April 19th, Travis posted a comment on social media announcing, Two days till training, I get a gun. A couple weeks later, he posted, 100% shooting test, I'm a god. A week later, he posted, I had a dream where I went back to Haythorn and beat the shit out of anybody that made fun of me in the past. I love my mind. A month later, he posted, I wonder if I'd make the six o'clock news if I just started popping people off. A week after that, he pulled a black balaclava over his head and put on black sunglasses and posted the photo to Facebook. 
Now, you might be wondering if G4S monitored its employees' social media behavior. They did not. They considered that a violation of their employees' privacy. So G4S had no idea what Travis was thinking. On the afternoon of June 14th, Travis had 26 cents in his bank account when he and his mother had an argument over the rent that he paid her monthly. She wanted him to start paying it twice a month. Their argument escalated, and Sander noticed that Travis seemed to be acting a little different. He seemed cold. The argument ended when he told her, It doesn't even matter. I'm not coming home, so don't worry about it. You'll get your money. Sandra burst into tears and went to her bedroom. At 6 p.m., Travis left for work. He drove to work and parked his shiny new dark blue truck outside of the employee parking lot so that it wouldn't get damaged. He usually worked with a team of four, but that night a fifth member was assigned. Michelle would be training Matthew, Brian, and Travis. Dressed in full uniform, they each carried a six-shot thirty-eight caliber revolver, plus two speed loaders on their belt. Each speed loader contained six bullets. Matthew had just received his gun that day. They each had a total of 18 hollow-point bullets, bullets designed to expand upon impact and maximize damage. Travis and Brian were in the armored truck while Eddie drove. Michelle and Matthew followed behind in a van. Soon after their shift started, the truck broke down and frustrated Travis. His anger from that afternoon continued to grow. He texted his friend Dylan that this is the night. Dylan thought Travis was joking as usual and ignored him. The team made two stops to replenish ATMs. Their third stop, just after midnight, was at the Hub Mall at the University of Alberta. The mall runs four city blocks long and houses shopping and residences for the students. Eddie remained outside with the armored truck as Brian, Michelle, Matthew, and Travis entered the mall. The four walked up two flights of stairs and to the TD Bank. Brian held the key that gained them access to the steel door to the room with the ATM. The room was small and barely fit the four of them. Once inside, the door automatically locked behind them. Brian and Matthew knelt down to put the money in the machine. Michelle was standing behind them, observing and supervising, as Travis stood by the door, watching. With the three of them facing away from him, Travis quickly pulled his thirty-eight revolver from its holster. He shot Matthew first, point-blank, on the left side of his head. Then he swung and shot Michelle, point-blank. The bullet entered by her left ear, passed through her skull, and exited by her right ear. Then he shot Brian twice, once above his left ear, piercing his brain. Then he shot the back of his neck. Travis was surprised by how loud the gun was. After the first shot, his ears were ringing so loud, 
he didn't hear the next five shots. It was over in seconds. He exited the room, and the locked door shut behind him. He ran through the mall and back towards the armored truck, down the stairs, and when he reached the bottom stair, he stopped to remove his speed loader from his belt and reloaded his gun. He exited the mall and approached the armored truck. Between him and the truck stood Eddie. He raised his gun. The first shot hit Eddie under his right eye and exited behind his ear. Then he pumped two bullets into the back of his head. Eddie fell. His body landed face down as blood pooled on the pavement. Eddie, a husband and father, was dead at 39. Travis jumped into the driver's seat and sped back to G4S and parked the armored car near his own truck and left it running. He removed three parcels of cash that included around $360,000. He left behind the remaining cash and sped off. Two volunteers with the Safe Walk program who escorted people around the university heard a thud. They arrived at the TD Bank to see what appeared to be blood oozing out from under the door. Then they heard moaning coming from behind the door and called 911. The Edmonton Journal reported that one of the volunteers heard Matthew say, I'm not going to make it. And she reassured him that help was on the way. Matthew didn't know at that time he had been shot, but he could smell the blood around him. It was 12 minutes after midnight. I wonder when Travis formulated his plan to rob an armored truck. Was that why he applied to work at G4S? Or was it the sight of all that money that got the wheels spinning in his head? Edmonton Police Services arrived to find the ATM room and no way to get inside. They removed a battering ram from the trunk of a police vehicle and attempted to beat the door down, but the hinges opened outward and it would not budge. All the while, they were on edge. They didn't know if the shooter was still in the mall. Was it a student, an employee, a bystander? An officer returned downstairs to get more tools. Another officer could hear a male screaming incoherently and tried to speak with him. He would yell, help me, then his voice slurred before it trailed off. The officer returned with a pickaxe, sledgehammer, and bolt cutters. There was a small ventilation screen at the bottom of the door. They punched it with the ram and the officer peered inside and saw three bodies. Using all the tools, they managed within a couple minutes to pry the door outward. The floor was covered in blood. They noted that all three still had their guns in their holsters. Michelle, a new bride, was dead at 26. Brian was dead at 35. Matthew was still alive, but barely. A bullet had blown off a piece of his skull, and his brain was exposed. 
Still not knowing who or where the shooter was, police made the decision to put themselves in danger and pull the dead and injured out. Paramedics arrived. They loaded Matthew on a stretcher, but his condition made it too dangerous to take him down the stairs. Without knowing if the shooter was still in the mall, they braved the long hallways and wheeled the stretcher with Matthew to an exit on the other side. Travis stopped by to his friends' houses, and without them knowing, he left them some cash. He destroyed his cell phone so that police could not track him, then drove to his mother's house. He entered and changed his clothes, leaving his bloody boots by the door. He reached into the brick of money and plucked $64,000 and placed it on the table for his mother. He grabbed a screwdriver and swapped the license plates from his mother's truck to his. Then he hit the road. A killer on the run. Matthew went into surgery at 2.30 a.m., a surgery that lasted three and a half hours. Surgeons managed to retrieve the bullet that had entered his skull. Initially, police didn't know if Travis had been kidnapped at gunpoint, but in their investigation, they quickly discarded that possibility and named him a suspect. A Canada-wide warrant was issued for his arrest. They notified police throughout Alberta and British Columbia, the Canadian Border Security Agency, and U.S. Homeland Security. In the morning, when Travis's two friends and his mother found out that Travis was a fugitive, they contacted police and turned over the cash. His mother released a statement through police and pleaded for her son to turn himself in. Travis headed south down the highway and after four hours passed through Banff, Alberta, where he tossed his gun into the river and headed toward the border. He drove another eight hours and at 3.08 p.m. on Friday entered the U.S. border crossing at Aldergrove, B.C. The cash was in a black backpack with a few of the bundles tucked around his truck. He had his driver's license but no passport. As his truck's license plate passed the license plate reader, an alert flashed from the computer, armed and dangerous. U.S. authorities arrested Travis. He did not resist. Instead, he told them that he had been kidnapped at gunpoint and forced to drive to Seattle to deliver the backpack or his family would be killed. Just after 10 p.m., U.S. authorities turned Travis over to Canadian police and he was taken to a cell. There, he was read his rights and provided legal counsel. The next morning, Edmonton Police Services Homicide Detective Scott Jones arrived to question him. Travis pretended to be a fictional character, David Webb, from the Jason Bourne movies. He claimed to have no memory of recent events. Three hours later, with no information forthcoming and no confession, he was returned to a cell. A cell that had a roommate 
an undercover police officer. Their conversations were recorded. The officer pretended to be an experienced inmate and struck up a conversation. But Travis continued to pretend he was David Webb and still claimed he had no memory of the last few days. Later, Travis was pulled from his cell and interviewed by Detective Jones again. This time, he provided details of his abductor, a man with short blonde hair, brown eyes, and a tribal tattoo on his face. He told Detective Jones, I'm just trying to help my mom, sir. The detective left the room for 15 minutes, long enough to give Travis time to think. When he returned, Travis admitted he was mad at the world that night, and a few minutes later, he confessed. He stated, I think I was just mad at everybody, and he admitted that he'd aimed for their heads. Then he placed his hands on his face and cried. Travis was returned to the cell with the undercover officer. Without a word from the officer, he told him, I did it all. Killed those people and robbed their truck. He said he shot them point blank, and the officer commented, The jump on four at point blank? You must be fast. And Travis laughed and said, Yeah, I guess I am. He added that he was using hollow points too. They go in, and they don't come out. Brains are mush. The officer commented then, Didn't see it coming? And Travis said, Nope, none of them, and said they couldn't draw their guns fast enough. Travis was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. At Michelle's funeral, she lay in the casket in her wedding dress, and nearby, she shone brightly in her wedding photo that she'd never got a chance to see. Matthew spent three months in rehabilitation. He experienced meningitis and infection in his brain from the bullet shrapnel. He still recalls parts of that night. He could hear police breaking down the door, but thought he was getting shot again. On September 9, 2013, 15 months after the murders. In a plea agreement, Travis pled guilty to two counts of second-degree murder for Michelle and Brian, one count of first-degree murder for Eddie, and one count of attempted murder for Matthew. As the victim impact statements were read, Travis remained emotionless. Dressed in a black suit with his legs shackled, he casted his eyes downward. His pale face showed no expression. Michelle's husband spoke of how he just can't bring himself to face the world alone. And her father recounted having to identify his little girl's body at the medical examiner's office. The Calgary Herald reported that Eddie's widow delivered her statement with her youngest son at her side. With the pink hanky, she wiped her tears as they cascaded down her cheeks. She never thought she would be a widow at 32, 
and that they were supposed to raise their sons together. Brian's mother and father said that Travis betrayed his co-workers who had every reason to trust that he'd watch their backs. The trauma of what happened was too much for Matthew to attend, but he prepared a statement that was read on his behalf. He still experiences flashbacks and remembers what it was like being shot. He lost the vision on the right side of both his eyes and no longer has feeling on the right side of his body. His life will never be the same. Just months before the murders, Canada passed Bill C-48, which ended a discount on sentences for multiple murders. This meant that Travis would do time for each murder. At his sentencing, Chief Justin John Rook told Travis that these were assassinations and executions carried out by a cold-blooded killer with no respect for human life and all for the simple motive of robbery. He called him a coward for the ambush and sentenced him to 40 years with no chance of parole until 2052, when he will be 61. Travis received the longest sentence in Canadian history since the death penalty was abolished. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Chris Marquis. He was a teenager who loved video games, CB radios, and the internet. He began buying, selling, and trading equipment, but he got greedy and ripped off the wrong customer. Tomcat set out to get revenge and teach Chris a lesson. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>